Welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast, your home for Irish folklore, mythology and storytelling. Yes, hello and welcome back to episode 64 of the National Leprechaun Museum's podcast. It's myself, Mark, this week and Lenny. Hello. What's the crack with you? Not a thing. Lenny, I think this is going to be your kind of episode. Me too. Um, yeah, because we're looking at, as we're doing a folktale today, or rather Cece's going to actually be do, telling the folktale today, and it kind of brings you into the realm of kind of like home remedies, and it's a really kind of normal story. Yeah. Like, I think we had a way of doing things in Ireland that was just, it was practical, it was all under the guise like of fairy lore and stuff like that, but a lot of it just made sense. Mm-hmm. They, to an extent, some people actually did know what they were doing. Some people knew what they were doing, but it's when just like... When you look like, back now, it's like, yeah. oh, that made sense for this specific ailment or infection. Yeah, but they Other were... times, it was very wrong. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they got <laughs> yeah, it like, yeah. they hit the nail on the head. Sometimes it's still very wrong. You're like, that makes absolutely no sense. Were you someone who got sick? Like, did you, did you ever have any hospital stays or anything like that? Or were you someone who got sick a lot? No. Not no. at all. Not until I got my tonsils out and it massively made me always ill from the age of 80 and onwards. But all throughout my childhood, I was never ill, never sick. Have you ever broken a bone? Never missed a day of school in all of primary school. Did you ever go on the hop? Me? No. Not in primary school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you... never. I mean, I never went on. Why would you go on the hop in primary school? <laughs> I thought it was like a repetition. I actually did, though. I went on the hop with uh, Barry Hayes, one of my mates. And we watched Spaceballs in his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we, we went on the hop from primary school, but there's no point. It's like, what are you doing all day? We're, like, yeah, draw, where are you going to go? Drawing pictures and colouring in. like. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was always someone in the house, like so there was never any point kind of going on the hop. But did you ever break any bones? I broke one of my fingers many moons ago playing Gaelic. And then I broke, I'm doing air quotes for our listeners right now, my ankle. Uh, I fell into a fireplace out club and that's a oh, story. Oh, I heard that story from Eleanor. And then they told me after I got the boot, paid for the x-ray, got everything done, they rang me on the way home in the car to tell me that it wasn't broken. So to this, this day, I still don't know if the leg was broken or not. But I refused to wear the boot and just wore Doc Martin. Yeah, no, I did. I heard the story of that happening to you. In co- it was in college, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, I heard about that party. <laughs> um, I didn't get sick very often. but like You've bro- got... you broke a finger, I've haven't bro- you? I've broken everything mm-hmm. i've got one finger and one thumb that i haven't broken uh but i've broken all the others but it's weird you said you you broke it playing gaelic mm-hmm. you played basketball i did but i played gaelic in school and in primary school but i think it's what you're like so we both played basketball we're both short arses yeah uh do you not break fingers playing basketball no gaelic was the one where oh, the, I, the injuries were happening all right because I, I played i played uh, hurling and that as well again i'm not very sporty but it's kind of what you had to do to just not be in the house but basketball, I mess my fingers up. Like someone throws a basketball to you, you catch it wrong. Yeah. Fingers gone. Mine are all over the place. Um, but I suppose the way to treat being sick as a kid and stuff like that, I mean, there's not much you can do for broken bones, but you get over it. Mm-hmm. You have that thing when you're talking about hurling in the museum, the rule around hurling. Oh, yeah. So for those, those people who don't know, uh, hurling is a field, one of Ireland's oldest field sports. Yeah. And um, it's where you have a very, very hard ball. And there is a rule that you can only have, um, you can only have uh, three broken fingers per hand yeah. because you can h- technically 
hold the ball with only two fingers at a time per yeah, hand. Yeah, thumb and a, thumb and a yeah. finger, you can manage it, yeah. yeah. Which is which is nuts, but that is, that's mortar ball. That's a horrendous game. I got a hurl to the back of the head, uh, and I was lucky I was wearing a helmet. You shouldn't have to wear helmets then. Mm-hmm. But I, my mother was fairly overprotective. But in terms of getting sick, you kind of just had to get over it, or it was just like flat lemonade. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when people drank Lucasade? Still do. Still do, Me. do they? Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure do you know it's nonsense. It's okay, I want to live in the disbelief. Okay. It's okay. Right, well this is the thing then about our stories. Like, So they had all these kind of weird kind of cures and almost ritualistic things to do mm-hmm. in the stories. But I think what we'll do is we'll get straight into C's story. Mm-hmm. We'll have a listen to that and then we'll, we'll take a nice practical approach to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe me either. Anyway, guys, listen, enjoy the story of the Alp Lucra, and we'll be back to you straight afterwards. Some people just seemed to be born with luck. And in the province of Connacht, there was a farmer called John O'Dwyer who was a bit like this. He had only known a happy, healthy life, full of money and family. And one day on his farm, that was ever so profitable, Sean lay down in the summer sun after a long morning of herding cattle against the soft grass of the field and soon found himself falling asleep. And now he would have been there for about three or four hours before he did wake. And as in his groggy state, he started to move and twist and turn about, all of a sudden it was interrupted by this sharp pain in his side. He had never known anything like it. He stood himself up and limped on home, where his wife immediately noticed that something was wrong and asked whatever is the matter to her beloved husband. Ah, nothing, love. I'm just feeling a bit under the weather. I'm going to head to bed and I'll be back in the morning. Well, he did head to bed and he slept better than most of us do. But the next morning he was none the better. In fact... The sharp pain had been replaced by this feeling of movement. It was as though something was travelling from the pit of his stomach up to the tip of his throat and down and up and down and up and down and up. Sean was so relieved when he saw a doctor enter his room, for he had never been in this much pain in his life. The doctor began to examine him, and every so often Sean would scream out, Here, here, it's moving now. Look here, look there, look everywhere. But the doctor saw no signs of movement. And he pulled Una outside, Sean's wife. Una, I fear your beloved husband. Well, he's lost his senses. All that you're going to need to do is give him a sleeping pill tonight. And then he should be back to normal. And Una did as told, but the next morning, if anything, Sean was worse. His appetite slowly began to go. And eventually that doctor realised he couldn't help Sean as he watched him get sicker and sicker. And after that doctor after doctor was coming through the doors, 
and each one telling Sean he had an illness with a name longer than the last and more expensive than the last. By the end of this, Sean, he had watched Una sell off his cattle one by one to afford his treatment and he was none the better for it. In fact, where once had stood a healthy figure was now skin and bones. Where once had stood eyes full of life were ones full of pain. Where once had been a mischievous grin was now a grimace of pain. Sean was a mere shell of the man he used to be and every day he longed for that man. He'd sit in his rocking chair at the window barely able to stand. And one day he saw a familiar face, that of a beggarman he had given alms to in the name of God many moons ago. And the beggarman knew him too, but he was shocked to see who he was now, having only seen him the guts of a year ago. Sean, whatever happened to you? You used to be full of life. Sean began to tell his story about the pain in his side about how the doctors had failed him. But the man was hung up on one part. Sean, in that field where you did lay, is there a stream? When Sean nodded his head, the man got up. Sean, I need you to come with me and show me this field straight away. And Sean, feeling a sense of urgency, he mustered up any strength he had and he stood up all frail and hobbled his way out the door, down the road into the field, where the beggarman, he promptly began to examine the grass. Aha! he cried, as between his fingers he pulled a herb, a strange little thing Sean had never noticed before. These only grow near streams where the Alp Lucra dwells. The Alp what? cried Sean. The Alp Lucra. The Alp Lucra is a parasitic fairy. It'll take away your life. It'll jump down your throat when you're fast asleep. It'll crawl down into your stomach. And then it'll feast off of everything you eat. And if you stop eating, it'll feast off of you, Sean. Well, Sean couldn't believe this. He both wanted to laugh at how nonsensical this sounded and cry at how much what the man was describing mirrored his own journey. For when he asked did he feel movement inside of him, Sean could do nothing but nod his head. I know a man who can help you. This man, he's MacDermot. MacDermot, Prince of Coolavon. He's the best doctor around and he'll make you better. Well, Sean knew he needed to discuss this with his wife and his daughter first. So that evening they all sat together. Oh, my love, I just want to see you well again. The beggar man interrupted then he must go to the Prince of Coolavon. The daughter spoke. Oh, Daddy, I miss the days where you were happy and you were full of song and laughter. The beggar man once again called. Then he must go to the Prince of Coolavon. 
Sean spoke at last. All I want is to not feel like I'm better off dead. For every day I get up skin and bones and I'm unable to enjoy the life I once had. The beggar man spoke once again. Then you must go to the Prince of Kulavan. And the three of them saw that the beggar man had a point, no matter how persistent. And they decided to agree. So the daughter and Sean and the beggar man, they all loaded up into a horse and cart with enough supplies for a week. And they rode off. Now on this journey they experienced many humps and bumps. And Sean was rolling around the place in pain at times. But within three days, they had arrived at the palace, wherein they went into the kitchen, and the beggar man spoke. I am looking for the help of MacDermot, the Prince of Culavan, for this poor man. The prince is eating at the moment, said a servant. At that moment, the prince popped his head around, funnily enough. He took one look at Sean. Oh, you poor thing. Let me guess, you fell asleep in a field with a stream. Sean nodded his head, and the prince spoke once again. I'll help you the best I can. With that, he led Sean into the long dining table and set before him a fine cut of beef. Now Sean, who could barely keep down the makings of a slice of toast, was quite worried about eating an entire hunk of beef on his own but the prince insisted and not only did he do that he drenched it with salt. Sean figured anything was worth a try and he ate until his stomach was positively heaving and then he was brought outside into the garden out to where a stream did lie. He was laid down flat on his belly and told to open his mouth into the stream. The Alp Lucre will be thirsty now, so you must wait, for we have flushed her out with so much salt that she won't be able to resist this fine spring water. And Sean waited, and waited, until about three quarters of an hour had passed, and at last he felt a movement in his stomach that began to get more and more rigorous by the second, going up down and up and down until it was right out his throat and came to the tip of his tongue and down pounced the alplucra. But then he felt movement again. A second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, until there were twelve alplucras after jumping out of his mouth. The prince watched in astonishment. Oh, I know what's coming now, he cried, and he pounced upon Sean, holding him down, making sure he couldn't wriggle, as he felt the most pain he had been in in this entire journey around his stomach. It was huge, whatever this thing was moving inside of him, at least three times the size of the others. And it came up his throat, out his mouth, and made an almighty spirit. Flash into the water. What was that? Said Sean, eyes wide. That was the mother, said the prince. She must have been pregnant when she crawled inside of you. 
Sean stood up and he looked around and within minutes he was feeling like a new man. Now, the Prince of Coolavin did keep him for a fortnight and Sean began to very quickly come back to his normal weight. The life came into his eyes, the smile back to his face and he came home to his beloved Una, ripe as rain. But he also came home with a new member of the household, the beggarman, who'd soon come to be his best friend. It's funny, when C does a story, it almost seems like they're like, putting on a Colchie accent. Even though? Yeah, e- even though they're one of the resident non-Dublin. Uh, Tipperary origin, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's the story of Lucre, one of the weirder kind of creatures in our folklore. Do you know what that story reminds me of? What? Were you on the field trip the time that we went to your man's cottage in Roscommon? I don't think you were there. No, I wasn't. So basically, they had this old stone Irish cottage that they only moved out of in 1996 to uh, like an actual house that had running water and electricity. And he went through the entire house and he explained everything behind the reasoning uh, of certain ailments and what they would do. And he had this um, uh, instrument that you used to pick up coal. And so they would pick up the coal and they would actually burn the coal over the fire and they would stick it into milk. And what would happen is the, the charcoal from the coal, it would bubble to the top of the milk and they would scoop it off and they would eat it because that was used to comfort an upset stomach. So now, the way now people take charcoal tablets. That's yeah. just the modern equivalent of what he was doing all throughout the 40s up to the 90s of his generational family living in this house. It That's, reminds me of that. Yeah, it is kind of like, but yeah, but, and it's got this practical kind of element to it. Yeah. There's the other thing as well, because we know the fairies, the other world people don't like iron. Yeah. Uh, blacksmith's water, do you know when they're, when yeah. they're quenching it? That was used in an awful lot of remedies, you yeah. know what I mean? It was really kind of strong protection. But in this, it's funny, we joke about the Alblucra uh, in the museum, about how it's more like a, it's like a tapeworm. Yeah. Because in some versions of this story, he just keeps eating and eating and eating. And in other versions of it, he loses his appetite. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a fluke worm. Mm-hmm. So you get that like on water crests and kind of plants that grow in kind of really kind of muddy watery conditions, fields by rivers. And uh, the fluke worm causes intestinal problems and stuff like that. So again, yeah. he's got a real ailment. But all these doctors are coming and checking out and it's only this, this owl lad that seems to kind of notice that there's, there's something more unusual up. And in this version, he sends him off to the prince mm-hmm. to kind of learn what to do. And they're, they're, again, a running theme in most Irish folktales that take place within smaller communities and smaller areas of people having a really good understanding of the land where they live yeah. and things that come from the land onto the person. And then how do you cure that going forward? Yeah. There's someone who'll have a specific knowledge of a specific field, of a specific place to yeah. go to. And it'll only be through them that you find, you know, you go from A to B to C within yeah. the story. Well, yeah, because there's environmental factors in it then as well. Uh, there's, a, there's a great old story of a guy who like can't cure his cough, and you're listening to the story, and you're thinking, that guy's like, it's damp. His mm-hmm. issue is damp. Damp, yeah. That, that, that kid has asthma. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> um, what I was thinking, yeah. 
but it's like that with the with the fairy stories as well where you have uh you know the kid is being taken away by the fairies every night and then they make them drink the foxglove tea and stuff like that to to calm them down or the fairies uh fairies of course a particular field and there's this plant that grows in the field that's associated with fairies and it causes animals to get sick when they eat it there is just this horrendous amount of just kind of like lack of practical knowledge mm-hmm. like what people just walking around just picking up stuff and eating it yeah probably i mean i'm all for kind of natural ingredients stuff like that love a bit of foraging i could picture you doing a foraging course i'd like that yeah mm-hmm. you like your mushrooms do you mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know if that'll get picked up on the mic there. just <laughs> oh just how different that mm was because we did that we did the cliff walk uh with mark from uh, hidden hope yeah uh, and we were eating all the blackberries as we were going along. Yeah. That was pretty good. Yeah, not at Halloween though. Not at Halloween, yeah. But there's also the thing of like not picking things if they're below your kind of knee height. Yeah, waist height down, yeah, you don't pick off the ground. Well, your waist height is the average person. Is the average height. human, yeah. Um, But mushrooms are on the ground, like what's the crap with that? Just wash everything. Mm-hmm. That'd be my advice to anyone, just kind of like wash it. It's one of, and that area in Hoth is one of the mush i don't know if you know this it's one of the mushroom capitals of the world what do you mean it's one of the magic mushroom capitals oh magic it's all right specifically specifically magic okay we're not sure if we're going to get into that but we've talked about that on uh tours as well you get where people have those uh the mills where they grind down that they grind down the grain and they make flour and then you get the egots that fungus growing in it and again that's the thing about about kind of knowing the space you're working in people are consuming this bread made from the workers and the cheaper flour and they're all off their nut mm-hmm. but you look it's it tends to be a lot of the time as you're saying it's highly environmental and landscape based of an area where you're from yeah. and if you were to go through ireland certain stories will only originate in certain areas yeah. due to the environmental factor of what is in the facility of the area you live in and it's seasonal as well of yeah. course you know what I mean? It it is funny when you look at these stories from a kind of a a practical kind of standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, well, it's normally in folklore like an actual event that has happened. So this man has gotten sick, and then this as the story evolves, then it will take on the magic of the fantastical element to turn it into a folk tale. Oh yeah, the first time it gets told, it's really just kind of like this is what's happening, mm-hmm. and it's as the story spreads and it kind of gets legs and people play with the story. That's why I love it, like that we're like oral storytellers, is that you can like Cece does that story in a particular way. You do that story very differently. You do it a lot faster as well, <laughs> um, but you kind of focus on different things and put the emphasis on on different areas of it. Like I've never told that story with going to see the prince. And yet, that's how that story is done in the collection Douglas Hyde did back mm-hmm. in, like, I think it was 19, 1910 or something like that, the Fireside Tales book. Um, that's how he went out and collected the story, but I'd never do it that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And the bedridden thing as well, the sense of lying down to not to not filter what they believe to be the infection through the bodies, yeah. of making sure that the body was always lying at a particular angle. They yeah. believed it would make you more sick to stand up i just love a nice lie down but even that leeches still mm-hmm. get used you know people using um maggots yeah you know what i mean for necrosis for eating like kind of like dead flesh and stuff like that it's disgusting but, but it, it works wor- yeah it yeah. works i think i'll take the lucasade over the maggots or the leeches though ah 
Depends on what kind of week you've had. <laughs> <laughs> Dry toast, flat seven up, I'm sorted. But I'm, I get really grumpy. I'm no good at being sick. I can't. Do you know what? If I'm feeling healthy, I'd love a nice nap. Mm. But when I'm sick, I'm just really restless. I'm not able for it at all. There's also like a an ongoing theme throughout Irish folklore of the sickness will always be cleansed by the water. The water is the place to go for yeah. the cleansing to take place. Either if it's washing, consuming, um, holy wells, bringing water back. Because we were on a field trip for everybody who didn't know uh, to St. Bridget's Well recently. <laughs> yeah, that was and brilliant. One of the things I noticed that was really unusual, I'd never been before, did you see the people who were washing the children's feet directly into the well? Yeah. So a lot of people were doing or rubbing it on their hands or rubbing it on areas of their body. So even today, you still see a, a, a very old tradition um, of curing ailments being used now in the same fashion. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. It is, but you you also use Because I remember when I went down to Bridget's Well a couple of years ago, a few, or it could be more than two years ago, where I did the rag and you have it, you have it in the car. Do you have it I in have the it car? car? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you eventually did pass your driving test. Yeah. Do you think it helped? Seven million times. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good thing. At least, you know, like kind of, you know, with the people who are on, on the roads are meant to be on the roads. Mm -hmm. Those that are driving with a license. <laughs> but it's funny that this creature, right? So similar to, with the leprechaun, like people talk, use the term fairy creature fairly broadly in Ireland to bring yep. it back to the actual outlooker itself. Um, not classically what you'd picture as a fairy, but it, it does look like a worm. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of got a mouth on one end and it looks like a long kind of fat worm or like, or like, a, like a flat worm. But uh, it's listed, the, like the English names they give to the outlooker are the joint eater and the, the just haver. Mm -hmm. I don't get the just haver thing, but the joint eater, like joint pain, dehydration, stuff like that, I get. But some of the translations or some of the English names are just odd. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not into it. Like Alp Blucher just sounds deadly, but it weirdly doesn't sound Irish. No. The Alp bit doesn't. No, it sounds Swiss or German or something. But that's because we just hear the word Alp and we're yeah. like, oh, straight oh, away, yeah. I'm picturing like... A little worm going skiing. Yeah, and cuckoo clocks and Toblerones and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I suppose you get these same kind of creatures, like we said, in similar environments around the world. And then every culture has their different understanding. And yeah, different their different way them. to interpret what, what they're experiencing at that time. But with the Alp it said like that you can't... You just can't feel like not full. It's not that you can't feel full. You can't feel satisfied. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter how much you eat, how much you consume, because the creature is apparently eating like half of what you're eating. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's a big big thing within the fairy realm in Ireland as well. Well, yeah, that's it. Everything's well. Everything's around food. Mm -hmm. We listen. We, I know we both listen to the off menu podcast, mm -hmm. which is a and they're like I was thinking about that in terms of storytelling. I can't remember who they had on. I think it was actually Lenny Henry. Sir mm -hmm. Lenny Henry was on talking about how associating certain foods with certain stories. And he was talking about how uh, in every great story there has to be a feast scene. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about it in terms of Irish stories. And would you, if you were to do a menu or something to eat, and I know you love your food with certain stories, that'd be a tough story to pair a sandwich with. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's, there's some stores, even like Bickery's Feast and stuff like that, where you go, okay, I can see why you'd want to enjoy food while you're doing that. But with a store like that, I don't want to be eating anything. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want a big salty side of beef. Packet of bacon fries, maybe. Yeah. What's your favourite story to tell? Because, like, you have a few, but what's one that pops into your head straight away? Mm, big, big, big tale. King Abertop of Derry. It's another one where you wouldn't want food with it because they're literally consuming... The consuming of blood. The consuming yeah. of blood in okay. Uh, the only reason I, I say him quite a lot, I think he's underrated, but quite important. A he lot is, of people he's, don't know him. He's, he's, he's a... He is, a, like, essentially, like, sorcerer, vampire, bastard. Chieftain, ba- bastard, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is funny, but so much of the stuff around him has just been made up which is totally fine. It's totally fine, but you get to take this nugget of information and it just builds and it builds and it grows and it grows. And you can you can kind of do whatever you want with someone like that, but you wouldn't be able to do that with someone like Bridget. Mm-hmm. You know, or you wouldn't be able to do that with like Madeira, Tane, any of those kind of like kind of like noble, kind of like bigger kind of characters. But someone like Abertok, you can do whatever you want with him. Mm. Like he's hardly going to complain about it. I like a story where you take a liberty. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I like taking a liberty. Um, well listen I think we've talked as much as we're going to talk about this without dragging on and kind of going off and it's so I think now it's just now it's just time to thank everyone for listening and hope you they enjoyed the story yeah yeah thanks hope you enjoyed the story yeah that's basically <laughs> it thanks so much for listening guys and we'll talk to you again soon bye bye thank you all so much for listening to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast remember best way to support us is by liking, subscribing, or sharing with a friend.